This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Women on the Waves, a show focusing on issues affecting women, here on Christchurch's community access station Plains FM. Today on Women's Lives, Women's Stories programme, I am speaking to Fiona Given, who is the President of the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women. Fiona has just submitted her PhD in biochemistry at the University of Canterbury. I met Fiona at the Suffrage 125 celebrations at the Kate Shepherd Memorial. Recently we met over coffee and I was impressed with her passion for women's issues and I wanted to talk to her more about her experience in the field of science. So kia ora and welcome, Fiona. Hello. Hello. I got the sense, talking to you, that you had many interests. Um, what made you decide to pursue science? Um, from an early age, I was always a passionate scientist. My mother is also a passionate scientist, and we were always experimenting and trying new things and exploring the natural world, so it was kind of a natural progression to studying science. Um, and biochemistry really caught my interest at university, so that's what I decided I wanted to do. Was your mother trained in science, or that was her interest? Uh, my mother has a master's in biochemistry as well, so ah. it was definitely a family pursuit. Perfect. And one of the things you'd said to me about how different sciences are viewed depending on the gender split in sciences, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, it's something that I've, I've seen and heard about quite a lot. There, I mean, gender split in terms of the type of science that people are pursuing. So biology, for example, is over 70% female right. at the undergraduate level, um, while things like physics and computer science tend to be more male-dominated. And there is a relationship between the how male-dominated a particular field is and how it's viewed in the wider society. So the more male-dominated it is, it's seen as more intelligent. Right, and like a, has a higher status. Has a higher status. And I find that there's derogatory comments about fields that women are more involved in because they're seen as lesser sciences or softer sciences or easier sciences. Right. Um, and and what about medicine? Because that is a field that's changing the ratios of students, male and female students, going into medicine. Yeah, I think there is definitely going to be a change in how medicine is perceived because of that. Um, computer science is probably the most interesting because in its early days, a lot of computer scientists were women, as seen in things like Hidden Figures. And it, w- it was seen that's as something that... film. Yeah film, mm. but it was seen as something anyone could do because obviously if women can do it, then anyone can. And as it became more male-dominated, the perception of computer science is very difficult and, you know, and has a higher status and therefore higher salaries, mm. um, became, it switched. And so it's now seen as considerably more difficult than other sciences, even though 
what's actually being done possibly isn't hasn't changed considerably since the early days. Mm, fascinating that process. And you said something to me too about veterinary science. That's something more and more. Is that something more and more women are going yeah, into? Yeah, yeah. There's huge numbers of women who are going into into veterinary science, and consequently, we are seeing a lack of large animal veterinari- veterinarians, and especially in New Zealand, but also overseas. Partly because of you know, women's smaller sizes mean that they may not want to be involved in farm work as much, but also I suspect there is also a push that oh, women shouldn't you know, be seen on farms. They definitely should be small animal vets, should be equine vets, mm. even though they may be perfectly competent as large animal vets. And the things like hours and on-call hours and things like that haven't kept up with the population that are being produced by vet schools. And so that I also see is, is a kind of systemic failure of veterinary practices and veterinary schools in terms of the graduates that they're getting. Mm. And what have your experiences been like doing biochemistry? Um, personally, I have come across interesting comments about the value of biology and biochemistry um, compared to chemistry or physics or, you know, ju- just the perception that, because, you know, because women can do them, therefore they must, they must be the easier option. Um, and therefore the value of the results that are produced. And it's not just men saying that. I've heard it actually quite a lot from female students from all disciplines. And I also find that it pushes, I mean, it, it pushes female students away from pursuing things that they may be really good at. Like, I had a friend in undergraduate who was really passionate about mathematics and physics, right. but ended up doing genetics because she felt really ostracized in the maths and physics classes and was more comfortable doing chemistry and biology because there was more women there. Mm. What do you see would make a difference in that? I mean, if we, if we can see um, if a certain science is not supportive, uh, seen as a supportive environment, what would change that, do you think? I think we need systemic change. I think, I mean, it, it needs to come from the higher-ups, and I think there will be systemic change because more women are attending university and there are definitely a push to include more women in sciences such as computer science because finally people are starting to see that if you exclude 50% or 51% of the population, you're actually excluding an enormous amount of brain power that's really going to adversely affect the quality and the quantity of the science that is produced. Um, I think making sure that there are sufficient pathways for people to continue to pursue science up the levels and ways that women in particular but also other minorities can gain positions that's not tied to being um, promoted by someone or mentored by someone that they can they can you know essentially gain gain skills and gain positions blind Mm. because once you can see someone that you recognize as and identify with as doing something, it makes it considerably easier to pursue that avenue yourself. Mm. And so I think 
that needs to come from the top. And I mean, that's pretty universal in science, but particularly the male dominated disciplines. It needs, you know, we need, we need to see women and other minorities achieving things and being recognised for achieving things. Yeah. So that visibility makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Because the people are there. Mm. They're just not being seen and they're not being heard. Mm. And you've said your mother was an amazing support and role model around science. Um, was there any way, and growing up, what did you think about being a girl? What were the kind of messages you got? From my mother in particular, she never, never, ever made any comment about my lack of ability to do anything I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I adopted the same sort of rhetoric that you hear of, you know, like when I was in high school, I wanted to join the cricket team, but we didn't have a girls' cricket team, so I just eventually gave it up. You know, and I mean, not that I would be a fantastic cricketer or anything, but I enjoyed the game, and so I played netball and I played soccer because it wasn't available, and I can imagine that in a less supportive environment than my mother, it would be really hard to pursue something like science if you're not, if you don't have those role models there. So I was lucky mm. in that I had that role model and I had that support and I had that, you know, that drive saying, yes, you can do it, you know, ignore the haters, you can, you can do what you want. But I think yeah. it is a real barrier. Yeah, yeah. And... Another area that you're very involved in is horse riding. What kind of horse riding do you do, and do you notice gender differences in horse riding? Um, yes, I, I compete in both dressage and eventing at fairly low levels. Um, horse riding is an interesting one because there's a great leveler in which you know the horse, and therefore it, it's in some ways less gendered than things dependent on human strength or speed or flexibility because there is that leveler there. Um, at the low levels, it is almost universally a, a female sport. Um, and I think that is partly because women, you, you do have that leveler, so so people aren't, you aren't directly competing against someone else, you're competing against another, another team, you know, another horse. And you get that compassion and that sort of environment that is really, I don't know, I, I find it quite nurturing. But um, interestingly, at the higher levels, there's a lot more men involved that you don't see going their way up the ranks. And there is actually quite a lot of discrimination against young men who are interested in horses because um, they get called gay or effeminate simply because they're interested in a female-dominated sport. Or conversely, they get very, very, you know, typically masculine comments of, oh, you're only doing it because you're interested in girls in tight pants. Right. You know, yeah. and... And, and it's sort of the same kind of culture and comments like if boys were doing ballet or boys in gymnastics. Or... Yeah, exactly. And, and that same sort of discrimination that doing something that involves compassion and dedication and commitment is seen as unmasculine, um, particularly compassion and, you know, something that like, like ballet or dancing that involves creativity and flair and all of those things is seen as unmasculine versus, you know, tackling someone on the rugby field. Um, so you do see that kind of discrimination mm. a lot. I've heard a lot of that. And directed at quite young boys as well. 
Mm. Um, which is really interesting to hear you talk about compassion as someone with very little experience <laughs> on a horse. Um, yeah, that is, um, it's so much about the relationship with the horse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, there, there is... And and it's a sport where you can't bully your way through it. I mean, a horse is 500 plus kilograms. <laughs> so, it, you know, if it wants to put you on the ground, it will do so. So you have to, you yes. have to be... My horse riding ended after a horse took me into a barbed wire fence. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens yes. to most of us. Yes. But yeah, that, so yeah, there has to be a relationship built. Yeah. There has to be compassion. And yeah, you have to... You have to know how to back off and how to approach things a different way and how, how to form a relationship with the animal that can't actually tell you what it's thinking. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely probably the most challenging sport I could have chosen to be involved in. But yeah, yeah. It's a great one. Great. And, how, you know, what I said before about how we met, uh, you're the president of the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women. How did... That interest involved. How did you get involved in that? Um, so, for a long time, I've been involved in women's rights and in gender equality, but I haven't really been actively involved in it. Um, but I went on the women's march because I was, like many of us, very, very annoyed at mm. the state of things. I still am very annoyed at the state of things, and. Would you say that was a turning point? That, that was a major march? turning point, the Women's March, because I got to see all these women that turned out who sounded like me, who had the same interests in me, and who just cared. And that, yeah, and so I saw one of our wonderful um, members, so Sheena Ross, holding the NCW banner proudly at the Women's March, and I said, I want to join them. And so I did. <laughs> and, yeah, I've... I really loved it. So great. So that power, what we were talking before about visibility in science, that power of saying, "Oh, here's women who are similar to me, um, who care about these issues," um, and this is a way to have a voice. Yeah, absolutely. Especially having a voice, because I do feel even in the days of you know these days of social media, where you can spout out your own opinion ad nauseum. The idea of the collective voice of saying, you know, the courage that you get from saying, I care, and these people also care, and we want to do something about it. You know, we, we don't like the way things are heading, or we do like the way things are heading, and we want to support policy and change that is being made in our communities. I think it's really important to have that collectivism and that voice, and also just making relationships as well, and lasting relationships, hopefully. Mm. Was there something about, was there anything beyond that about the Women's March? Um, what was happening um, with politics in the States or... Yeah, my, you know my, what I'm yeah, trying to say? My was, drive to attend the Women's March was the politics of the US. Yeah. Um, because, it, I mean, it's a reflection of the current climate that we're seeing all over the world with Brexit and with, you know, other other political crises like Brazil at the moment, that drive towards anti-intellectualism, that drive towards isolationism, and the rejection of the global good 
that can come from people you know getting together and talking and and finding common interests and so that really drove me to go to the women's march and I felt that NCW was a really I mean an amazing way that I could I could feel like I could make a difference mm. and I could achieve what I want to achieve but also make some lasting change mm. that's that's the big driver is I want I want to leave the world a better place I mean both both in terms of environmentally but in terms of how people view each other as as friends and as part of a global community mm. which we are mm. you know we all are it makes me think about uh, our PM Jacinda doing speech at the United Nations, and uh, that it's okay to be kind uh, and caring and inclusive and connected. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, she obviously managed to say that much better than I ever could. But um, that's precisely how I feel. That that there's there's no way that we can fight things like the hatred that's being spewed out of the United States unless we are kind to each other, unless we uplift each other, and, and particularly women. Mm. I mean, and then we can, we can, we can change things because we have to, you mm. know, we, we have to. Our environment's degrading. Our society apparently is falling apart, and there will be a point where we can't stop it, and we, we have to. Mm. So mm. it's, yeah, it's mm. of prime importance. One of the ways that women are not kind to themselves is a lot of women struggle with self-image, um, views about what is beautiful, what is feminine, um, our bodies. Uh, is that something that you've ever experienced yourself or struggled with or dealt with? Um, not on a huge scale, but I have seen my friends in particular, go through struggles with themselves. And it's something that I find particularly repulsive in um, modern media is the focus on how people look instead of the words that they're saying or how they're conducting themselves. And that there's only one good way to be a woman, which mm. is absurd. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, I... I Personally, don't struggle a huge amount with self-image, but things like imposter syndrome and stuff like that, definitely. That, that feeling that everyone else knows what's going on and you're the one left out, that definitely comes into play quite a lot. Yes. And isn't it good that we can just sit here and make it up as <laughs> we go? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I just want to finish off with what do you like about being a woman? I like that we are able to express emotions. Um, I mean, I see a lot of male friends who are really bogged down with the inability to to express, emo express emotions, both verbally but physically, and, and just to themselves. And so, I mean, I don't think that's something fundamental to being a woman, but I think it's fundamental to being a woman in current society yes. is the the way women can express emotions and can join collectively and do big things, mm. Um, mm. which I think is really, really important mm. and something that I get great heart out of is women supporting other women. Mm. And allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and in our vulnerability is our strength. 
Yes, yes. absolutely. And well, one form of strength. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and by being vulnerable, we can encourage others to be vulnerable and support them. Um, I think that's one of the absolutely phenomenal things about being a woman in today's society is that ability to to yeah really really support other people and stand up, but also to be vulnerable yourself. Perfect. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Fiona. <laughs> We're going to finish off the program with a song chosen by Fiona, the beautiful Bic Runga and her song Sway. Sweet 